Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. It's often said that kids learn faster than adults. And I've certainly felt increasingly like one of those well-used sponges that no longer absorbs quite as much water as it once did, as I've gotten to be the age at which I used to think adults were old. Of course, there is research which suggests that this may not actually be as true as it feels, but we do experience various physical and cognitive changes over the course of our lifetime, like in motor performance, working memory, and selective attention, for instance. So what does this mean for older folks still seeking to learn new things and continue to improve? Does it mean we need to practice differently as we get older? And if so, what would that even look like? A pair of researchers recruited 60 adults between the ages of 60 and 75 to test the effect of different practice strategies on their learning and motivation. The task was a pretty simple one. Basically, they were placed in front of a computer screen and given a giant square one and a half foot number pad. The computer screen would show them which numbers to press and which tempo to press them at, and then it'd be the participant's turn to give it a try. So basically, it was like a super simple version of Dance Dance Revolution, but just for the right hand rather than the legs. To keep things simple, the pattern of numbers that the participants were asked to press was always the same. The only thing that changed was the tempo, or the speed at which they had to press the number keys. A third of the participants were assigned to the blocked practice group and asked to practice the first timing pattern 54 times, let's call it tempo A, then they were asked to practice tempo B 54 times, and then tempo C 54 times, for a total of 162 practice repetitions. Another third of the participants were assigned to the random practice group. Unlike the blocked group, which had a nice, predictable, orderly sort of structure, theirs was all jumbled up. For them, the computer kept switching up the order of the tasks, where they would never see the same tempo more than twice in a row. So their practice looked something more like tempo A, tempo C, tempo B, then B again, then C, A, C, C, A, B, A, B, A, C, etc. The final third of the participants were assigned to the learner-adapted group. Their practice was a combination of blocked, serial, and random practice, where the type of practice they did was dependent on how well they were doing and how many mistakes they were making. 
So they would start with a little bit of block practice to get comfortable with each task. And if they are doing pretty well, they would then switch to serial practice. And if they made too many mistakes, no biggie, they'd go back to a bit of block practice before giving serial practice another try. And if they did well with serial practice, then they'd advance to random practice. And if they struggled with random, again, no big deal, they'd go back for some more serial practice. But with the goal being to eventually get to a high level of performance, even with random practice. The idea behind this type of adaptive practice was to try to keep the learner at the sweet spot of task difficulty where optimal learning could take place, where they weren't getting bored because the task was too easy, but they also weren't feeling overwhelmed because the constant switching between tempos made the task too difficult. Okay, but quick sidebar, what's serial practice? So serial practice is somewhere between blocked and random practice. It's like random practice, where you keep rotating between different passages during the same practice session, but instead of rotating between passages in a random order, you would rotate between them in a specific order. So in the case of this study, instead of one repetition of tempo A, and then C, B, B, C, A, C, C, A, B, A, whatever, all randomized, it would look something more like five repetitions of A, five repetitions of B, five repetitions of C, and then another five of A, five of B, five of C, and so on. Then, to see how effectively their practice would stick, participants were asked to return to the lab 24 hours later to be tested on the skills that they learned the day before. And which type of practice led to the best learning? Well, during the practice sessions, the blocked practice group did a lot better, and their timing was more spot on than either the learner-adapted or random groups. But as you can probably guess, it was a very different story the next day when some forgetting had set in, there was no real warm-up, and it was time to put their skills to the test. So when it came to retention of the skills they learned, the learner-adapted group performed the best. Their average error score was just 48 milliseconds, compared to 63 milliseconds for the random group and a whopping 103 milliseconds for the blocked group. So why does learner-adapted practice seem to work so much better, at least for older adults, as in this study? Well, to keep this from getting too long, I'm leaving out some details of the study that are actually pretty relevant and meaningful, like how the researchers also looked at the effect of these strategies on motivation, and whether there was a difference in these strategies when it came to developing more flexible skills that were adaptable to new tempo patterns that they hadn't practiced. But the most important thing I'm glossing over might be how the researchers looked at the differences between these strategies when learning similar skills versus dissimilar skills. Or in other words, when the task was easier versus when the task was harder. And the gist is that there does seem to be something to this notion of a challenge point where learning is best, where if a task is too easy and we're getting it right every single time, then we're not really learning that much. But if a task is too difficult and every repetition is a mess, then that means here too we're probably not learning that much. The idea is that one type of practice isn't inherently better than another, but each is a tool that we can use to adjust the challenge point of our practice up or down, and to keep our practice in that learning sweet spot, as it were, where things are challenging enough that we're making a few mistakes here or there, but not so many that we're just reinforcing bad habits and getting discouraged kind of like adjusting the metronome to make things easier or more difficult for us. So what are we to do with all of this? Well, before we get into that, a couple caveats. The main thing to keep in mind is that participants were asked to learn a pretty simple task, 
one that emphasized timing rather than on the sort of small, intricate motor movements or coordination of multiple fingers or sides of the body that might be involved in playing an instrument. But still, conceptually, this seems to fit with other research in this area, so presumably it's still applied to more complex skills as well. The other thing to keep in mind is that participants were between 60 and 75 years of age, so it could be that the results might be a little different if participants had been like 6 years old or 16 years of age. But here too, there are other studies which have looked at this sort of thing with younger adults with similar results, so it's likely that the same principles would apply to younger learners as well. So how can we apply these findings to practice? Well, there's a handy flowchart in the original paper that I've posted in the written version of this at bulletproofmusician.com blog. But I'm not going to try to explain that here because it's kind of hard to describe it purely in words, and that would make for a really long episode. But even from what I've described already, could you just take this formula and apply it to your or your student's practice exactly as is? Well, sort of, I guess. But I think that might miss the point a little bit. Even though I think we'd all love it if there was just some neat and tidy formula that we could apply to every single piece and passage or excerpt that we have, for me, the main finding of the study is that for learning to be optimal and maxed out, it's important to find the right balance between the difficulty of a task and our current skill level. So when you're just getting a new piece in your fingers and you're months away from a performance, sure, being within, say, 5% of what you want an excerpt to sound like and getting it right two out of every three times might be totally good enough to promote yourself to serial practice and then random practice. But at some point, when you're closer to performance, maybe a batting average of two out of three tries isn't good enough, especially if you often get it wrong on the first try and write only on the second and third try. And at some point, allowing yourself wiggle room of plus or minus 5%, whether it's intonation, rhythm, or anything else for that matter, that might be way too generous as well. For me, the main takeaway is not the algorithm per se, but the larger idea that it's important for us to be mindful of our learning sweet spot when practicing, and to monitor our practice so we're neither making too many mistakes nor too few. And to use practice strategies like blocked, serial, random, or learner-adapted to increase the difficulty of the task, either by allowing ourselves more consecutive repetitions to work something out and getting it sounding right more consistently, or to interleave our practice repetitions a bit more so we are upping the challenge and pushing ourselves to practice getting things right with fewer warm-up repetitions to feel things out and make those little tiny adjustments that we won't get to when we're on stage. So today's study was about how to structure practice repetitions but what are we supposed to do between or within the repetitions themselves? Well, this is where deliberate practice and self-regulated learning factor into the equation and help guide the smaller, moment-to-moment details of our practice. So if practicing has always felt like taking two steps forward, one step back, or if you consistently put in the time but feel like the results just aren't there, or if you're familiar with the idea of deliberate practice but have had difficulty figuring out how to actually put that into practice, you might find the new course, Practice That Sticks, to be just the thing that could help put a few more pieces together. I mention it because today's the last day to get it at the special 20% off introductory pricing. You can learn more about the course at bulletproofmusician.com slash practice that sticks. 
You can find links to this week's study and other resources at bulletproofmusician.com blog. And if you found the episode helpful, please share it with a friend or practice buddy who you think might also enjoy experimenting with this during the coming week. 